Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Western Focus Podcast. I'm your host, Steven Meister. With me is my constant co-host, Cobalt. And then there were two. Not me and Cobalt, but two teams remain in the World Championships after two extremely intense semifinals matchups between Weibo Gaming and Billy Billy, both teams out of China. And then JDG, the odds-on favorite for the tournament, the first seed out of China, facing off against T1, the second seed out of Korea, the team with so much history, so much legacy to it. Two crazy series that just went on, and now Blue and I are going to be here to break it down and then give our predictions going into this highly anticipated finals matchup with two very strong fan bases on either side of the line. Blue, how did you enjoy these semifinal matchups? The semifinals have delivered. And you know me, I've expressed in the past couple episodes, I love the upsets. I love these stories. I love the narratives. And we got all of that jam-packed into these two series. And now two teams with so much history, so many stories to tell are now going to be battling it out for us to enjoy in the upcoming weekend. I could not be any more excited. Yep, definitely a lot of hype to build around. Uh, I think I think we talked about this in an earlier episode of the podcast, right? I think you said you weren't really a fan of obviously having the break, the long break in between the the rounds from quarters to semi, semis to finals. Obviously, we have to wait a whole week uh, to get that finals matchup, but I like it because I, I said this before too. It, it builds up that excitement so much more. The anticipation is going to be killing me for Sunday morning to come around, so it's going to be a lot of fun uh, to get there. But before we end up getting to the finals, we do need to go over these semifinals matchups the first one of which being a absolute thriller between Weibo Gaming and Billy Billy Gaming it ended up going the distance it went a full five and basically every single game was a blowout for each respective team that that won the game game two went a little bit deep it went to about it looks like I have about 35 minutes in my notes, but BLG had a huge gold lead throughout the entirety of that game. You never really doubted their ability to close out that game. It was just a matter of finding the, the right opportunity to do it. Um, but every other game was basically under half an hour. Game 5 went a little bit over half an hour, um, but it was convincing wins from either side each and every game back and forth, back and forth, and it ended up being that the Waybros, the underdogs, take down BLG and punch their ticket to the finals. And it was in a very interesting fashion, too. Like, for a lot of the year, both domestically and now internationally at Worlds, Weibo has been a team that has been known to play around their bot side. The Shy, yes, he's this explosive player that tends to be coin flip on whether he turbo stomps or gets turbo stomped sure but he tends to be put more so on the weak side and he sort of fends for himself and whatever happens happens but they they put weiwei and Hu roaming bot getting light fed and and playing through that and then hopefully they get the shy to to kind of go with them later on but this was a huge pivot in this series for weibo where the shy was this time they identified bin as a big threat and they decided to get the shy snowballing instead. So the the one thing that I found weird was that they gave Bin the Jax pick twice. We know that he's a big Jax player. 
They lost both those games. I don't know if it was worth taking that risk. Maybe they felt it was, but ended up not turning out that way. But the shy, like with these resources that he normally doesn't get, he was popping off, reminiscent of his 2018 days to some extent, at least. Like ignore the Quinn game, of course, but it it truly turned out that putting the resources into the top lane there really paid off for them in the three games they won and they made it to the finals, which I wasn't expecting. Yeah, it was very good to see the shy finally live up to the highs and lows of of his career especially as of late uh, this season with Weibo him being able to finally get those super strong carry performances where he really did a lot of work in in their wins and even in, in at least one of the losses I remember he still had a pretty decent showing obviously the yeah there's the second game that they lost he still did fine and it wasn't a super crazy game but he was solid and yeah like you said we don't discuss the Quinn game at all but it was great to see him finally have that kind of pop off the shy that we know is in there it's just it doesn't always come out he was able to do it on the big stage in one of his biggest moments since you know him being in the world finals with IG all those years ago now um and it was, it was super fun to see and he they he absolutely needed to do that because for four of these games light and crisp really weren't doing anything in the bot lane they were getting uh taken to school by elk and on as well as uh, with some help from shun obviously um but El elk and on had a, a really strong series elk especially it wasn't until that game five where Light was actually able to come through and deliver a true carry performance, which I mean, hey, right, like if you're going to do it, might as well be in the most pivotal game of the series, Game 5, and it was on Callista nonetheless, obviously more more known as an early game champion, uh, and Weibo were down in the early game. Uh, in, in that final game five, Light did have a, a gold lead at the 14 minute mark at least, which was big. He was doing good in the bot lane, but by the 20 minute mark, BLG as a team had a, a gold lead going into that game. But it was a super strong performance from Light uh, to, to be able to put the team on his back on, on that champion where the, the team comp around him in that game really helped enable him to pop off. Weibo went with Orin, Maokai, Azir, and Renata to help him on the Callista, and the amount of pressure and just like zone control, I guess, like uh, the amount of space that those ultimates can take up on the map when you layer an Orn ult and a Maokai ult and a Renata ult, and even an Azir shuffle still too can like deal with a little bit of space closer in around you. Normally, Callista is a champion where it's hard. It can be really hard to pilot her in some of the fights that get really hectic, or if they have you know champions that can also you know mess with you. If you have they have like a Poppy or a Talia or some longer range champions, where it's going to be harder for the Callista to get onto them. And Caitlyn Lux can definitely fall into that category, but they had. Weibo was able to create so much space for Light to make these fights actually go well in his favor, and he did a, a superb job uh, taking advantage of all the help that he was given. And like I said, you know, if you're going to be able to show up in a game in a series, might as well be that big game five at the very end of it to send your team to world uh, world's finals. And it was just super fun to be able to finally see Light come through there because I believe. Let me double check my notes. I believe it was game four. I had. Yeah, it was game four that I think that they had a Felios Bard for BLG, and then they had Ash Heimerdinger, which we haven't we haven't seen in a little while. But that's a pretty strong lane, so you you would probably think, okay, like you know, maybe this is finally a game where Light and Crisp can can take a lane phase, get get some control early, kind of try to bully out 
uh, the Aphelios and Bard be very annoying with all the, the turrets and the Ash Valleys coming in. But Crisp, or I should say, excuse me, Elk ended up finding a double kill pretty early on into that game. So any sort of advantage that even if uh, Weibo would have had in that lane was completely nullified by the 8-minute mark. And Elk ended up having the advantage throughout that entirety of the game. And they're able to really try to play through him to force that game 5 did BLG with Elk. So it was really a very strong team performance by the end of the series for Weibo. The Shy did a lot of the heavy lifting in the early game. Weiwei was was solid for the most part. But then in that fifth game, Light and even Xiao, who also on the Azir, had a very strong game. And at the end of the day, those are the guys you want to see pop off. It's great when the Shy does it, but in League of Legends, you're generally not going to be seeing, you know, those carry top laners being the ones to take over the game. It's generally going to be, you know, the 80 carries and the mid laners getting the gold, getting the CS and all those resources so they showed up at the perfect time to take advantage of that all yeah and that game four to me I I needed to bring up just the one moment that reminds us these pro players are human crisp there he brings out that Heimerdinger and spent about 10 minutes at level four and only at 15 minutes was he able to hit five whereas everyone else was putting a second point into their ultimates so you know pretty funny there but otherwise it was it, it was a lot of good stuff that Weibo showed in the games that they were winning. Like game one, they had a disaster start. The Shy has counterpick Rumble into Aatrox, but starts with no HP, no TP, and is put very far behind. Xiaohu has to return to lane after that invade and is down pretty much a whole wave. Weiwei on Belveth wants to start enemy Raptors to start getting ahead, but has to go to his own jungle and loses time. So, you know, everything started to go with against them and then even later on blg execute an early bot gank kill crisp and that gets bot lane ahead so in theory weibo should lose all prio belveth no longer has the opportunity to take herald topside and snowball and things just aren't looking good but even still despite the odds the shy puts on an absolute master class he gets himself even and then even ahead Weiwei secures an uncontested first Herald where he should ha not have had that opportunity. Comes top, kills Ben, game just explodes. So huge win there for Weibo despite a terrible start. And then game five as well was... The one highlight moment for me there was the the soul fight where Ben gets a Cassante out onto Weiwei, kills him off. There's no smite on the side of Weibo. But then... Jun, who's trying to get in to steal this dragon because the rest of Weibo is there. On first watch, I thought that Crisp Shornada ult forced him to chase his own team and then he walks out of smite range. But if you slow it down, Crisp walks on top of the Drake and Jun hits him rather than the Drake with the smite. So it's it's kind of hard to see there. I had to slow it down myself a couple times just to make sure I wasn't tripping out. But at that point in time, the Drake goes from about 800 to 400 health. Like, Smite should do 1,200 true damage, so it couldn't have been that. And then Light uses Rend, gets the Drake, gets the Mountain Soul, and then they win from there. So it was a lot of back and forth, despite, of course, within the games themselves not being so close. The series was really fun to watch. It was so much competition between these two teams, way more than I gave Weibo credit for, that's for sure. And in the end, it was great viewing experience, and I'm happy to see Weibo go through and see whether they can lift that summoner cup which not something i was thinking i was gonna say yeah and we'll get to talking about uh that finals matchup in a bit the one thing that i do want to touch on at the very least that i want to bring up unless you have something else you'd want to talk about as well for this series 
was Ben. We, I just kind of talked about, you know, the top lanes, and during that's not going to be one of the positions you see hard-carrying games, hard-carrying series. Ben has been known to have those performances a lot, especially when he's on jacks, that he can really be a focal point for BLG and really help still end up most likely, most of the time, being a secondary carry, you know, to, to someone like Elk. But his jacks has taken over numerous games, as we've seen before from Worlds and his time in the LPL. But this series was really bad for Ben. Obviously, we were praising the shy, but it kind of goes without saying then, and maybe you could, you know, just infer without us talking about it. But Ben did not have a good series. He was getting destroyed up there, and it was a, a very, very bad look for him. Now, the first game, Weibo did do the smart thing. They did ban the Jacks, and they they took care of them in that game pretty quickly. Ben, that was definitely up there for his worst game of the series uh, for Ben. And then the second game, Ben gets onto the Jacks, and it wasn't a stellar performance for most of it, but he by the end of the game, you know, Jax was able to scale up, get some items, and he had a pretty decent impact in the game. But overall, the the, the series was rough uh, for Ben. I don't think, I guess, depending on who you are, some will say, and some might not say, that it was a coincidence that both of the games that BLG won, that Ben was on the Jax. Uh, again, it's not like he was uh, going super uh, hardcore in, in some of those games, but... Uh, he, by the end of the games, usually, again, with the Jacks being able to scale up and just pressure the side lanes. Uh, I believe it was the game four where he was playing Jacks and he was split pushing bottom while the Elder was coming up and Weibo had to make the decision with their base being open, you know, to kill Bin or go for the Elder. They ended up killing Bin and then BLG got the Elder and they ended the game off of that. So... Uh, other than stuff like that, where he was on the jacks and did find his key performances, the other three games especially were still uh, very shockingly poor from someone like Ben, who has been uh, kind of a, a beacon of consistency for the most part. You know, everyone's going to have their ups and downs, but when you talk about Ben, every, everyone just praises the jacks especially, but he's just such a dominant player. It was such a surprise to see him go down as hard as he did to the Shy and Weibo. I'd have to agree with you on that one. Ben was a huge focal point for this team going into this tournament and even domestically. He he really put on a show in a lot of cases and there was a meme going around even that all these teams that he was beating, the other top laners were Ben's sons. So in this case, the shy made him his son and the rest, I guess, are his grandkids. I don't know, but it, it was unexpected to say the least and a bit of an underperformance, I, I think we can definitely say. So now, obviously, we will be having to say goodbye to BLG. They had a pretty decent tournament, obviously, being able to get into the semifinals. Uh, they ended up having to go the full five games in the Swiss stage to get here, so it was by no means an easy road for them. But making it to the semifinals is still a huge accomplishment, even though they won't get to get their revenge on JDG for multiple reasons, as we'll get into right now. It was still a strong performance from them. So congratulations to BLG Top 4, is nothing to scoff at, but obviously when you make it that far, you're going to be wanting more. So they're going to be definitely looking back on this, thinking what they can do to improve, but still should be a team to watch uh, in the LPL going into next year. I'd be surprised if there were uh, major changes, because the team is still relatively solid, but it's just, I think, a matter of some of the... The, the key players like Ben uh, not having their best performances at, at a time where they definitely needed to, and the Shy did. So 
a pivotal thing uh, for that in the top lane, and so long to BLG as we will now be going into the second semi-final matchup of Worlds, which was JDG, the first seed out of China, the favorites for Worlds to win it all against T1, the second seed out of Korea. It's funny you say favorites, Steve. Where are JDG now? Well, they were. They were the favorites, you know, going into to the tournament. They were the favorites going into Swiss stage. They were the favorites going into quarterfinals. And they were the favorites going into semifinals still, I think. Um, but, as, as Blue is alluding to, uh, JDG are, are not the favorites anymore. Because uh, you can't be the favorites when you're not in the tournament. T1 ended up taking down JDG three games to one. Not, it did not even go to five. T1 ended up taking care of business against JDG, looking for the Golden Road, getting absolutely shut down by T1, by Faker, by Gumayushi in Korea. Going to be Faker's first opportunity to win a Worlds on his home soil. And, I mean, my goodness, what a dominating bracket run, especially it's been from T1 to get to this point where you feel like there's definitely some plot armor for Faker and the rest of them. What a performance it was. Like, first off, I think T1 deserves so much praise for doing what should have been done so much sooner by all these other teams. They used the first ban of every single game on Rakan. Missing obviously showed us what he could do on that pick. And yeah, he had solid arrows on Ash in this series, but otherwise I think it was pretty clear he's a completely different player if you don't give him that recon. So huge, huge respect to T1 for doing that, finally. But this this series really delivered in so many ways. Sure, it didn't go to five games, but I was expecting a banger and we got a banger. Both teams put on some excellent performances. Of course, JDG dropped three games, but even in those games, I don't think their performance was anything to scoff at. And it, it went back and forth. In that game three, despite T1 taking it in the end, they did a pivotal throw and then JDG brought it back and were looking like they could win. So huge, huge performances from both sides. And I think it's just, I'm, I'm so happy that this series went the way I was hoping in the sense that, yes, we get the T1 story in finals. I wanted that, but the series itself so so good to watch yeah and i mean even going into the the first game of the series that was just a, a complete stomp and that can really set the tone for a series when you have such a surprise like that where again like if i believe i said this in the last podcast that we recorded like i predicted jdg to win but if you, if someone told me like like you did you predicted T1 that if T1 was going to win like 3-1 3-2 or whatever I would have I could have seen a world where it happened I just wasn't feeling comfortable enough to actually predict it when you see a game 1 like that I mean it, it's kind of it's kind of obvious but there's only there's only two ways that can go it's either going to be okay like T1 set the tone they're the favorites here they're going to come in and they're going to take care of business and win the series and it's going to be a complete shock that that how good they're going to look against a team like JDG uh, beating them so convincingly or it's going to be JDG coming out in the second game and then they end up taking it dominantly, and then they end up winning the series. Cause they're like, okay, now we're we're kind of back to where we expected things to be in JDG one, and you know this this is what I was expecting going into the series. 
And to JDG's credit, despite the, the utter domination that was Game 1, they did win Game 2. It was a close Game 2. The early game in it was relatively boring outside of a crazy Level 1 where T1 ended up finding two kills for one at JDG's Wraith Camp, or Raptor Camp, excuse me. Uh, I know you've corrected me about that before, Blue, so Raptor Camp. Um... But that, that game was a good uh, comeback from JDG after that point. They weren't too far down uh, from that play. They ended up finding a gold lead by 20 minutes with not a lot going on. They found a couple of big picks, uh, on one on Gumayushi, which led into a Baron play in a successful fight. And then another pick about, maybe looks like it's about seven minutes-ish later, uh, Kanavi found a nice play onto Faker in mid lane flash Q, ulting him uh, as Vi onto Faker's Azir. And then it was missing playing Senna that game. He followed up with the Senna ultimate. They bursted down Faker. That led to another successful fight for JDG into another Baron. Which at that point, they didn't quite end off of that play. But the lead is obviously big enough um, that you feel comfortable with JDG being able to close out that game later on. And they did. And then that third game was definitely the craziest one, I'd say. Just because there were so many plays now game four was was pretty big too because jdg were up early they had a, a 2000 gold lead by the 20 minute mark but the amount of just crazy plays in game three by t1 was absolutely ridiculous so in in game three two jdg starts up 2000 gold at the 14 minute mark when plates fall ruler had a thousand of that gold lead and then by the 20 minute mark it was only down to 1000 gold because of the first instance of a very crazy play where jdg were starting up the dragon and it was knight on talia who he ends up casting his ultimate as owner is trying to you know see if he can get into position maybe have his team kind of behind him and see if he can contest it or not not really sure if he's going to be able to but with the talia ult there it's it doesn't completely block him off from the rest of his team but it blocks him off enough that he probably doesn't feel comfortable being able to go around it and flee it so he's like okay i'm gonna whatever i'm just gonna see here if i can if i can maybe get the dragon and he ends up stealing the dragon but that is after he ends up flash flashing over let me see that was missing's ash arrow basically point blank like it, it was a reactionary flash it wasn't like he predicted it it was literally about as close as you could get to still being able to see the arrow come out recognize that it's coming at you and still having enough time to react and press your flash key and not only that, but he, he successfully did it, right? Like, you can do, you can try that in your solo queue games, and probably nine times out of ten, you're still flashing into the back of the arrow. He actually gets to flash over it, and then follows that up with the Rel ultimate and the combo onto Missing and Knight, which sets up the Sharima shuffle from Faker, Gumayushi coming in as well on the Callista helps clean up both of those kills. Then Owner steals the dragon after all of that. 369 was around in the area as well and he died. Ended up being a 3 for 0 for T1 and the dragons. So that's what brings the gold lead down a bit. And then we end up having the play in the very end of the game which leads to T1 winning that one with Faker catching Ruler in the mid lane with one of the most clutch Sharima shuffles you'll ever see. Ruler wasn't like even super far out of position. He was like a little bit far up, but JDG's around him for the most part. They're pushing uh, with Baron down the mid lane. So you're, you're, if you're a ruler, you're, not, you're probably not feeling like you're in like 
uh, a very precarious spot. You're feeling relatively comfortable from where he was at. And then Faker just comes out uh, from the bottom of his screen out of nowhere. And normally you, you would say that, you know, people generally see Azir as a bird, right? You know, he does his little emo and he's a bird. But Azir this game was a goat because that was Faker absolutely piloting that champion to a T and finding the, the most clutch play at the most opportune time. Ruler gets exploded by it. The rest of JDG, for the most part, end up falling in the fight as well. It, it was an ace. The respawns did come in as T1 were starting to finally wail on the Nexus, but it was too little too late. T1 found that Game 3 win, thanks in part to those two huge plays, one by Owner and then one by Faker. Absolutely wild scenes. And then that obviously leads into the game four, as I mentioned before, JDG were once again up early and it was a good comeback uh, from T1 as well to flip that gold lead in the early game and, and take a super convincing series win. Faker, Gumayushi, owner, Karia just went absolutely crazy. Karia's bard in that fourth game was awesome. So many huge ultimates. It's so fun watching a guy like him play bard where it's such a hard champion. You really need to know what you're doing on it. He played it super, super well. And then, you know, like I said, two Faker, Guma, owner went absolutely crazy. Zeus, for me, he, he didn't really, like, pop out at all. Like, he didn't end up having to do anything flashy other than he got a solo kill uh, in, on 369 in Game 1, I believe. But that's fine, right? Like, you don't need every single person to do with some of the stuff that Faker uh, and Karia uh, and Guma Yushi did, so... Zeus just had to basically just show up and not int his team, uh, and that's exactly what he did. He did more than that, too, to, to, to be fair, but super strong stuff from, from T1 throughout that entire series, but that Game 3 especially was just a miracle. Yeah, I think you did a very good job covering that series. I think I really like the way that you started that off, where Game 1 really set the pace. And for me, what really set the pace, both in and out of game, was... 369's performance in that first game. JDG, if you didn't know, they they had the they won the coin flip in terms of picking side selection coming into this series. And while most teams would have picked blue side, they picked the red side because they identified that T1 up till this point. I think they had three games in a row that they were red side against LNG uh, in the series just before this. So JDG here identified that red side was a strength for T1 and they wanted to take that away from them. And in this draft, they put a gamble on 369, who up until this point this year has been mostly a tank player, sort of a weak side, holds his own, comes out later in team fights, and wins the game with his team. But they took a risk on him, gave him the rumble to pilot into Zeus's Aatrox, which should be a counter matchup, should set him up for success. But he got completely stomped in that game. Zeus got a solo kill, as you mentioned, and 369, while yes, normally he comes out. He's not much of a lane player and he'll come out in team fights. Even later on, he had to invest in a Grievous Wounds item really early on, and he just never really recovered. And so for the rest of the series at this point, JDG sort of had to ban out that rumble. You would have noticed that it was their first ban every single game. They had to waste a ban at that point because of 369 showed he couldn't pilot it. And from then on, JDG are sort of on the back foot. And the other LVP for me that I have to call out is Kanavi in that game four performance specifically, where he drafted the Belveth. Again, the team has enormous guts for putting their faith in him to carry, and it just wasn't it. He sent it multiple times, got picked off first, 
and force JDG again on the back foot. So many of these times where they want to be ahead, they want to execute these team fights to their ability, but they can't because Belveth is not a factor. And then game one, the Rumble is not a factor, which is a big shame because in that game four, Ruler had a early lead built up on Zeri. He could have carried that game if his team gave him the chance, but they just didn't take a single proper 5v5 fight that whole game and T1 shut them down. So the whole series, I think that those two were the big sort of underperformers and then missing as well since he didn't get Rakan wasn't huge. So it essentially was kind of up to Knight and Ruler to carry the rest of the team from there. And meanwhile, on the other side, T1, to their credit, was such a well-oiled machine throughout the whole series. Of course, they had hiccups in game two, but even then they played pretty well, I'd say. And they really showed they're on the same page. The meta's to their favor. They make all these huge plays that Steve highlighted earlier. It's just incredible the way that this series played out where JDG, who should have been the team to stomp the entire tournament, win a convincing golden road since they already had the other three titles on their belts and it just didn't happen. Like, it's it's crazy to me. And even in a 3-1 fashion, as you said, Steve, shouldn't have happened and it did. So what a universe we live in. Well, yeah, and if anything, too, like, I remember I was always hard on, on LNG for their series against T1 in quarterfinals. And they did, LNG still played horrible that series, too. Like, it, it's not like, um, like T1 was just, like, you know, on a completely different level because, like, LNG was playing their best and T1 was just even playing so much better. But it does give more credence to, to T1 that, hey, like, may, maybe they, they were really just on like some sort of extra plane of existence that that LNG was just never stood a chance on because being able to 3-1 JDG and this is a pretty convincing 3-1 as well for T1 it kind of validates that that 3-0 of LNG where yes LNG still did obviously play below their standard but you're still not probably uh, with that with this benefit of hindsight you're still probably not taking LNG now in that series anyways I mean seeing how how strong T1 has looked up till this point and then I do want to bounce back to the the JDG the JDG uh, points that you were making as well because ruler did absolutely play his heart out he was trying everything he could uh, to be able to to carry the series for his team but yeah it just never really worked out he never was able to get a consistent you know kind of secondary person to help him out uh, in doing the carrying duties and yeah there, there wasn't enough help whether it be from missing on the support because usually it's just him you know being able to try and help him out through the lane and, and peel him in the fights and stuff especially in that game four because there were at least three or four fights in that game or I, I shouldn't even really call them fights but three or four moments where Kanavi just went in way too deep as you were saying before whether maybe he, he accidentally clicked on a bard portal or he dashed in too deep going somewhere trying to chase someone down and he just gets like stuck in between like five t1 members and 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 like two towers you know but he's just he presses e on belbeth he reduces all the damage that he takes and he dashes out and he somehow lives there's at least three or four moments like that throughout the game but then there was one moment where it finally caught up to him where that ended up being a pivotal play at just after the 20 minute mark where he died going in too deep he was trying to chase down guma but it didn't work out he dies t1 gets the baron and then that's like that very early catalyst for t1 to snowball that game being able to get a 20 minute baron is absolutely huge especially when it was on an era strictly from 
the enemy jungler uh, with Kanavi. Kanavi was actually up a thousand gold at the 14 minute mark again partly because he was getting so lucky and finding ways to get out of these ridiculous situations that he would put himself into but you know a cat may have nine lives but Kanavi only had like five and he used up all of them surprisingly in the first like 20 minutes of the game so not what you wanted to see out of generally speaking obviously you know being on JDG uh, a top jungler in the entire world and that's just not the kind of game you want to have that was a, a very big collapse and he's lucky it wasn't worse than it was and even then obviously losing in four because of a performance like that is unacceptable and of course we can't completely omit the t1 kind of misses as well i think the big one i would highlight is in that game three they take a very convincing baron fight they they they're able to get that one pick on i believe 369 at the start of the fight they get the baron and then they very easily could have backed off reset and started pushing with that baron to start securing the victory but instead they kind of have confidence at this point they decide to chase jdg into their own jungle and it sort of turns sour really quickly JDG are able to turn that around since, of course, this is still a very solid teamfight team. So they turn that around, and then at that point, it looked one for them. I, I think it, I could say from my where I was sitting at least. But then, of course, Faker comes in with that huge Shreema shuffle on Ruler. As you mentioned, he wasn't really out of position, but Faker pulled it off anyway because he's got hands now. And yeah, so so both sides sort of had their their gaffes and their mistakes. But in the end, at the end of the day, T1 were the team that came out on top. I think they played much more cohesive, more consistently, and now they're through the finals as well. Both both of these semifinals resulting in things that neither of us predicted. I'd say. And to do a uh, much, much, much toned down Bruce Buffer impression from the UFC, it's time for the main event of the 2023 world championships the finals between the fourth seed out of china weibo gaming we don't know if they will be fighting out of the red or the blue corner to start the series quite yet but in the opposite corner will be the second seed out of korea t1 and this is surely setting up to be an interesting series one way or another, either because one of these teams is going to completely stomp the other one. I think if Weibo does it, it's going to be a pretty big surprise. If T1 does it, I don't think people are going to be surprised at all. Or hopefully, if we're lucky, we, we will get a very intense back-and-forth series with a couple of banger games and they're going the distance and really making it interesting. What are you hoping to get out of this series, Blue, and what are your expectations for it and your predictions? So see, you put me in an interesting spot here because I think I'm in a very similar position to where I was last year coming into that series with T1 DRX in the finals. And I'm going to have the same prediction here. I'm thinking that it's a 3-0 or 3-1 for T1 because for me... It's pretty convincing the way they got here was a lot harder, I'd say, than the way Weibo got here. And I think T1 has ramped up. The meta's been very much to their favor, and they're rejoicing in that. While Weibo sort of, yes, they stepped it up, sure, but the road they got here with, like the first they had to take on energy, that wasn't much of a challenge to them. They had the Western teams in Swiss, which wasn't too much of a challenge for them besides G2. And then with BLG, sure, that's a strong team, but it took it to five games. And those two games they lost were pretty convincing. So again, 
I voted against DRX last year every step of the way, and they won the championship. <laughs> and it was a fourth seed. Now it's a fourth seed again. So my expectations for Weibo are very low, but that narrative brain in me is thinking Weibo might take it. So it's it's hard for me to say for sure. And I think the, the way that I'll structure how I approach this series is a lot in terms of what I expect from the draft, at least in terms of how they prepare from game one. Because of course, in a series, things evolve, things will adapt, and, and things will change based on how things go. But starting off, I think the jungle is probably the least targetable role. Both Owner and Weiwei are supportive style junglers. They tend to draft towards picks like Rel, Maokai, Poppy, those kinds of things. The only difference is that Weiwei has that Belveth pocket pick. He whipped it out for the first time versus BLG, and maybe he'll play that again if he finds an opportunity. But otherwise, these are very stable, very not huge, huge players in terms of success, but important. So I, I don't expect too much targeting here. Then you move on to the bot lane. We've got Guma and Kerry on the one side, and we've got Light and Crisp on the other. I think, genuinely speaking, this is probably going to be a fair write-off for Weibo, where I think the, the T1 side are both mechanically better, and the meta couldn't possibly be better for them. They're, they enjoy those ranged, double-ranged matchups, and, and that's very much what teams are leaning towards. So very much in their favor there. In support itself, I think that what I said in quarters still holds true. Crisp is probably the weakest support left in that pool, both in the top four and now in the top two. I think that's still definitely true. He showed a great Renata in the previous series, but otherwise I'd say that he's mostly a liability. Like think back to that level four Heimerdinger I mentioned earlier. He's not the greatest of players. While Caria can do double ADC, he played also most of his Worlds games on Renata and played very well on that. And then also has that mean bard that Crisp has a all-time 0% win rate on. So I think that in the support role, they're very clearly outmatched. And then Eddie Carey, I think Light is a great player, of course, but he's not a flashy player with outplay potential, while Gumar very much is. We saw that in that game four where he survives a melee range fight against both a Zeri and an Aatrox. Things he shouldn't be able to do, but does. He has hands. So again, I think this is very much favored for T1's side. Uh, Varus will be probably the, the huge pick for me to watch, where Guma, that's his favorite champion. He can play it in a few different styles. Even Karia can pick it up, and then so can Light. So either side could take it. I think that Weibo should lean in terms of Aphelios. That seems to be Light's most favored pick, so maybe he'll be able to offer a bit of stability by picking that, but it's interesting there. It's either Varus or Aphelios in a lot of those games. Then you move on to mid lane. This one's really weird because Faker is in the finals and he has only played three champions. Five on Ariana, five on Azir, two on Silas as a situational option, I guess you could say. While Xiaohu, on the other hand, has a huge champion pool. He's playing those champs and he's playing so many more. Again, kind of an interesting situation here where maybe Weibo will identify this as an opportunity to, to exploit in that game one. And I'll have a little more on that because coming to finals with three champions is a little strange. But then top lane. I saved this for last because I think this will be the most pivotal role in my mind, and both teams will be focusing here. We saw Weibo do it against Bin, and they're going to have to do it against Zeus again, I think. Now, in terms of draft, Aatrox, I think, has risen as the premier top lane pick, and we have the two arguably best Aatrox players here, 
besides maybe Bin, but I think these two are better. Of course, the Shy has a long history on this pick. Zeus has been popping off on it in this tournament. So huge priority on that. And then Rumble as well. I think both champions are excellent at piloting those, and that's a very viable counter pick into the Aatrox. While the Shy has his pocket Graves now, and Zeus has the pocket Yom. Both answers that have proved effective. So I think both of them are absurdly talented in mechanical play. Like the Shy just stomped Bin, Zeus just stomped 369, two of, in my mind, the best top laners in the world up until this point. They were able to win out, so huge kudos to them. But they are also notorious for randomly inting. Of course, the Shy. In 2019, they were in the semis against FPX. He has the Kale, who is very fed at that point, and he gets caught on an inhib and loses that series for his team, while Zeus is a ser serial finals choker, specifically. Just last year, he was a much popping off player, just like he is now, but in that final, his shortcomings led King into being voted the finals MVP. So I think coming into this series, Weibo's strategy for game one, I want to see them try banning Oriana and Azir, those two faker favorites, and then try banning out the Aatrox if they're on red side. Or if they're on blue side, let's ban Azir, Aatrox, and Rumble and pick Oriana to see what happens. I think Faker has yet to be pushed like that. Maybe teams haven't identified that as something to try yet. But if it works, I think it can make for a very chaotic series. And if not, then they'll have to reset and readapt. But of course, that's kind of the, the way these things play out. And then as for T1 strategy, I think they were willing in the past to spend a ban on keeping Rakan away from missing. So here they should do the same thing for Chris Fernanda. So kind of style the draft to secure Faker as comforts if possible in the first round, and then put your other re resources, as I mentioned, into setting up Zeus for success. His potential is immense, but he simply cannot falter against the Shy. So a lot of big things moving here. But that's, that's kind of the way I put it. And then in the end, my prediction will be the 3-0 for T1 officially, though I can see it going to four games. Well, that was very thorough. So good job for you. Uh, I'm not going to try... See, this, this is actually good because normally I'm, I feel like I'm generally the guy who, like, I'll be the one who goes in on, you know, talking about champions and stats and, and you know, how they, they perform in the strategy a little bit, stuff like that. And you're generally the guy who likes to focus on the narrative, which you did mention at the beginning, but you did a really good breakdown there of the, the players and stuff. So I'm actually... I, that's actually good for me because I have some narrative stuff because... What what my so I, I have a friend uh, a friend of mine who he's been watching Worlds a lot with me too, and we're we're in a Discord server together. So he tweet he put in the Discord server. He said that the the World Song said it all, guys. T1 players are gods, and the LPL teams are all crumbling one by one. It's part of the script, guys. So he's clearly leaning towards uh, T1. That you know he thinks that they're gonna when he predicted T1 to win in his pickums. Um, and he's you know he's 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 a T1 fan. He's been a T1 fan for a while. Who doesn't write like everybody loves Faker, and obviously with Faker having his first opportunity to win Worlds in Korea, you know in front of the home fans and a home crowd, and especially like this late into his career too, for how long he's been playing, um, it's gonna it'd be a huge moment for him to do it. And it, you know that that's the kind of storyline where you just kind of feel it kind of feels invincible, right? Like that there's no way that T1 are actually going to be able to lose this, right? They have everything going in their way. Faker playing in, in like his God knows how many uh, Worlds Finals now, let alone Worlds Tournament in general, uh, on how many iterations of T1, the dude's just inevitable, right? 
but what we what we failed to forget or what we failed to remember and what my my friend specifically here failed to remember was that what was the actual music video about right it was about deft it was about drx right and as you mentioned to bean drx was the fourth seed they're out of korea they were the fourth seed they played their way through the regional tournament to get uh, not the regional tournament, excuse me, the play-in tournament to get into the main stage of Worlds. And they fought their way tooth and nail to get into the finals, to face T1, and they and they took them down. They slayed the gods, right? So now, we look at Weibo Gaming. Fourth seed, out of China, not out of Korea, but out of China. They had to fight through the play-in stage just to get in to the main event. They had an easy easy road to get here. They only beat Western teams to get here until they had to take down BLG, and they did so in five games. It was a very, very fun, very exciting series that we already went over, right? So now, Weibo coming in, fourth seed, facing T1 in the finals. We're, 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 just, we're just redoing the music video, but just put the Shy instead of Deft as the main protagonist. It's, it's all about this year. It's all about the Shy. You have all, all of the Way Bros. You have Cadrill. You have guys like um, Forest Without on, on Twitter, Forest Within on Twitter, and so many people just backing Weibo, backing the Shy. That's what's going to happen this year. It can't, it can't go any differently. The narrative, we've already seen it play out. It played out last year at Worlds in the finals. T1 DRX, T1 Weibo Gaming, I am going to call a salty runback of last year's Worlds where Weibo Gaming is going to take down T1 in five games. You can book it here. They have the plot armor going into this World Finals. Oh man, you know I love a good narrative and you served it up on a silver platter here for me. I think you're absolutely right. A lot of the setup is there. Zhao Hu is a player that has been to so many international tournaments. He's won MSI three times, but never won Worlds. So it'll be his first dance if he if he wins. The Shy, of course, isn't really deft in the sense that he's never won. He did win his, uh, in the year of 2018. But again, a player that very storied and he's kind of on that comeback run. So very much to his credit. <laughs> you serve up a great point that if the narratives are to come victorious here, which so far they have, Weibo has a lot going for them. So I don't know. I We've seen it already. We know. We know how it's going to end. We have. The script is there and you're absolutely right. You did a perfect read on it. I think that if Weibo wins, like honestly, I am so happy that these are the two teams we get to see here because I won't be mad regardless of who wins. I think it'll be huge to see Kadril popping off. I've been following him for a long time, and I, I love his streams, love his energy. So if if the Shy wins, then I'm sure that'll be a banger. But on the other side as well, I think that Karia especially, we saw him cry last year. He's going to see new genes this time around, and I, I don't want to see him cry again. I want to see him lift that trophy. The other members of that team deserve it. Faker, he won Worlds 10 years ago, and he's still at this level of competition, which is insane. So regardless of which side wins, I think it'll be huge to watch. <laughs> but you do serve up a good point. It could very well be Weibo. 
Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe you just found the hole in the plot armor that wasn't there last year. The new jeans buff. You're right. As you mentioned, Caria loves new jeans. He he was screaming when when T1 beat JDG like, oh my guys, let's go. We're gonna, I'm going to see new jeans. He was so excited. And Ashley Kang on Twitter, who's a, a Korean uh, reporter and journalist for uh, Horizon Esports, I believe that's what it's called. She ended up posting or, or retweeting rather, I believe, uh, some screenshots from like a uh, new jeans is um like a, i guess like a group chat that they have and and some of the members of new jeans were reacting to what carrier was saying too and they were being all like you know cutesy about it so that that might be the difference maker that wasn't there last year the new jeans buff might just be enough to give t1 the edge in something like this where you, you always need to have that little bit of a twist in order for something to change like that you you think it's just going to be the salty run back you know it's going to be that we've seen this fourth seed narrative come back you know weibo making their way up all the way through the depths of the tournament rising up and and you know they're they're the ones that are pointing down faker with the gun like faker was pointing at uh deft and stuff but this time it gets turned around and then new jeans just from the top rope out of nowhere just absolutely choke slams the shy and Xiaohu and light and the rest of weibo and then they and t1 ends up winning because of new jeans i'm sold t130 new jeans buff oh man we are on the turnaround here <laughs> but yeah regardless I think that you and I are both going to have a great time watching this. I'm going to be up live for this for the first time all year. The The schedule is terrible. I'm going to have to get up at 3 a.m. here, but I'm going to do it. It's a banger. Both teams, so exciting to watch. It's going to be a series of a lifetime. And with that, a final big thank you needs to go out to all of you for once again sticking around till the end. We're almost there. We've got one more episode coming to run down the finals after they happen. So thank you so much for continuing to support us. Now you know the drill. Number one, drop us a follow here on Spotify. Don't miss that coming episode. And then don't miss our rundowns of the upcoming year's rosters. Because of course, we're going to shift back to that Western focus. We're going to run through some of those rosters and do a preview of the next year. Also drop a follow on Twitter. That's at NoRival underscore esports for all other banger content. And we've got the finals coming up real soon. So don't miss out. Stay tuned. We'll see you soon.